Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. started, grab your Bible, take a seat. If you don't have a Bible, uh, Joey here is like, oh, I want to give you a Bible. So he's going to walk around and hand them out. Stefan looks like he wants to do the same thing. So if you want to know where to go ahead of time, go to Matthew chapter 16. So we've been going through a series, and this is the last Sunday of that series called Reset. Or if you want to think of it, reboot, restart, but to start over, what would it look like if you started faith as an adult? So that's what we're going to look at, we're going to talk about, and we're going to finish that up. But where we want to go today is where Jesus takes Peter after this happens. So we talked about this several times during this series. So people are saying all kinds of things about Jesus. And we have to figure out who he is. And so he asks his disciples, the apostles, so who are people saying that I am? And they go to this whole list of people. You heard it in the verse earlier. But then Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the living God. And then this is what Jesus says. Okay, so now that you got that straight, Peter, let me tell you what I'm going to do with that. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what he's saying, and we're going to get into this, is now that you have, you've got this straight, on this truth, I'm going to build my church. And all the people around the world today that hear this go, church? Oh. You know what I'm talking about? There's this sense of like, I was hoping church would be a little bit more. I was hoping there'd be more to this than just what church is. And so we're going to look at that because if you are coming to church, and I don't mean coming to a place, but if you're coming to this idea of church in the wrong way or for the wrong reasons, or you don't know why it was started or what it's for, then you will be disappointed. In fact, I was thinking about disappointment and I was talking with my friends about this and then we started talking about restaurants and and then we started talking about all these crazy Yelp reviews. You ever done that before? Looked at people that go to something and they don't get what they want. And they just get really upset. But what they seem to be upset about seems to be crazy and makes no sense. I'm just focusing on restaurants right now, by the way. But I looked at a few of these and I really had to cut it down. And I had to do some serious censoring. So a lot of them didn't make the cut. But... Uh, this is a dream place for me to go to. This is a place that I want to go to, and someone gave a review of this place. Uh, my friend used to work here. Um, maybe, maybe it'll happen someday, but it's called the French Laundry. This is a review of the French Laundry. The staff sang happy birthday to not one, but two different parties. What is this? TGI French Laundry? Brandon R. Oh, it's okay, because there's one here for TGI Fridays as well. Well, it is TGI Fridays. Know that going in, and I guess you can't act like it's not, but a foodie would never go here. 
A sober person shouldn't go here. The staff is friendly enough, and karaoke night is quite entertaining. It's a place where 20 to 3 somethings can go to prove they can adequately cover a Shania Twain song and should receive a standing ovation. This is Court N in Milwaukee. Here's one. This is called Jean Georges, so you already know it's a fancy place. Considering that there are two restaurants here, I'm disappointed that there's only one toilet for men and one for women. Epic fail. And then he goes on and on about that. He said he had to go to the Time Warner building and pee there and then wait in line. Now, you do understand that the restaurant, I mean, this is, this is Jean Georges. I don't even know where it is, but I've heard of it. It's like fancy. Their food is amazing. And this person finds this thing to complain about. The, the complaints are amazing. Here's another one. Uh, this is from Jim W. in New York. This is straight up on Yelp. Not nearly worth the price. Food, of course, is exceptional. But the staff was giddy. Very inappropriate for hot cuisine co joint. Dressed in fitting, mediocre suits. Vaguely rude, self-absorbed, and chubby. I'm not being mean, but rather recognizing inept and inappropriate, but very important component of a great French, I don't even know how to say this word, Francais, 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 something. So he's not happy. Uh, here's Luke in San Francisco. I was mad. I sent a letter describing our experience by FedEx, addressed to Thomas Keller, this is also French Laundry, addressed to Thomas Keller afterwards, and I got no response. I even included a copy of the receipt with a letter. You would think a manager or another one of his lame lackeys would at least send a letter back. And then he said something about sending a picture of the middle finger, but we'll move on. Um, another one, okay. So we're choosing some fancy places, but I'll close with these couple of people evaluating, analyzing, and judging these, these places because they didn't get what they expected or what they wanted. Applebee's. In case you didn't know this, this is what this person wants you to know. If you're a vegetarian, there are just some places you shouldn't go to. You shouldn't go to a sausage factory, a pig roast, the Republican National Convention, and Applebee's. I've been in Applebee's before, but they at least tried to have something vaguely edible on the menu. And they went on and on and on and complained that they didn't have um, anything vegan. Chipotle. I feel like this review is more than a little pointless. But still they give it. But I also think that Chipotle itself is pointless. So double jeopardy or something. I don't get it. It's not Mexican food. It's not fancy food. It's just, I don't get it. And then they go on to complain about how they don't get it. Chips and salsa? What's that about? So why would I read these? Because when I was reading them and I was thinking through them and laughing with my friend about them, these people are giving reviews about these restaurants. And these people that started these restaurants never meant to meet the needs of what these people wanted when they entered. They're asking for something that was never intended. And we do that with all types of things. I was at a wedding last night. I do a ton of weddings. And what I've noticed with weddings over time is the people that are invited to these weddings, they pay nothing to come. The list is small. They come. They're invited. They get to come, participate. They get free food. They get to dance. They get to celebrate while other people that might have been invited weren't invited, and yet we find all kinds of things to complain. I mean, I say we, but of course I would never complain about what time it started, or about where it is, or how far it is, or how hot it is, or sunny it is, or cold it is, or windy it is, or 
I would never complain about that. I would never complain about how many people are in the wedding party. Oh my gosh, look how many people they have in the wedding party. I would never complain about the person, uh, the officiant, going too long. I would never complain about it because I'm the one doing it. But the point is we all have things we complain about because we're in this individualistic, self-absorbed world. And we take that into so many different areas of life, including the body of Christ. In fact, um, a few years ago, we had this uh, experience where uh, I was a part of a church. I wasn't even on staff at the church. And this was the internet. It was just just after the internet kind of started. And so they had these little blogs. They didn't even call them blogs. I don't even know what they were called. But there was someone that came to our church, and I guess what he had decided to do, pretty sure it was a he, decided to evaluate churches. Before Yelp even existed, this guy was on it. And so he would go to churches and evaluate them. And so he came to the church that we were at and evaluated, and somebody told me about it. And it was crazy to think about it. I thought, wait, really? I, I, was, I was blown away. I kept asking questions. This guy really goes around to churches and grades them? He gives them his reviews and analyzes them, saying whether they're good or bad. And so I was reading through his evaluation of the church that we were at, and he said, uh, the parking, I won't, I won't try to use his voice because I don't know what his voice sounds like. Um, the parking was like this, the lighting, I couldn't stand the lighting. Oh man, if he was here today, he would be so upset. The sound was too loud in my ear, but the other one was a little bit off. Uh, the guy that came up to spoke, spoke for 45 minutes. He could have done it much shorter, and he went through this whole list of things that weren't up to his par. As if he was like a food reviewer, but instead he's a church reviewer. So, here's the deal. You, me, other people that are churches, we all go for different reasons. In fact, I'm going to give you the top four reasons that people say they go to church. Here's the top four reasons that people say they go to church. These seem like good reasons. Uh, about 81% of them say that we go to church because we want to connect with God. Seems like a good one, right? 69% uh, people say they want their children to have a moral foundation. 68% say, I want to become a better person. And another 66% say they want comfort in times of trouble or sorrow. And about 19% say we want to meet new people. There's all kinds of lists. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's a whole list of why people come and why people don't come. And the reason a lot of people don't come is for the same things you heard in that Yelp review. They, they wanted something. They didn't get it. Uh, all kinds of reasons. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at where the church even came from. Like, where did that term come from? Who said, let's have a church? So grab your Bibles, if you could, and go to Matthew chapter 16. But I want to give some background because it says here that uh, just prior to verse uh, 18, where we, where we will be focusing on, it says that, they were in, that Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi. It, uh, if you go on the study trip in March to Israel, most likely this will be one of the places you go to. And uh, this is what it used to look like, and you need to know what it looked like 
so that when Jesus is standing there and he's talking to Peter, this is where he asks Peter, who do you say I am? He says it at Caesarea Philippi. For us, we have no idea what that means. But they all knew what it was. It was this area. Sorry, the picture is grainy. I couldn't find a really good one of it. Um, but this is, the t- this is during the time of the New Testament. So they had a shrine here, a building uh, to Caesar. Then they had another one for Zeus. And when I was there visiting, it, it blew my mind. They had a dance floor. Uh, for the sacred goats. So there's still some of the cement left there for the dance floor for the sacred goats. But this whole area was kind of known primarily as a shrine to Pan. You know, the the god Pan, nature Pan, not Peter Pan, but the other Pan. And so you have here, this is what it looked like. So Jesus is sharing here when he says, who do you say I am? And And then Peter says, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, it wasn't man that gave this to you, but God himself. And then he says, and on this rock, and he says on this rock, because look, there's, there's rocks everywhere. This is what it looks like today. Notice that none of those buildings are left, but the rock is still there. Um, so you see where this big hole is on the left? A big cave, like the, on the far, far left is a big dark spot. It's like this big pool area. And if you go back here, that's where the shrine to Caesar is. And then just right there where it says the shrine to Pan, that's where you see this little hole right to the right of that um, picture diagram thing to tell you, hey, this is where you're at and this is what it used to look like. So Jesus is sharing this with Peter. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. So we're going to take this passage and we're going to break it down to give us history of where did this church come from, what is the purpose of church, where did it come from, and what's it for. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, this is the English translation, and most of your Bibles will say church. But the word that Jesus used was ecclesia, which is a a word that we've talked about a lot here at Branches, but it means a gathering of people. But somehow... In translation, it happened in the English translation, they took this word church, uh, which Tyndale used, which means building, and put it in there. So unfortunately, it says church. And when you think church, you're probably not thinking people. You're not thinking a group or a gathering. Instead, most likely you're thinking of a building. Much like when I showed you all those shrines and those buildings. Oh, were those old churches? Churches to Caesar and churches to Pan and churches to whatever. And so we can get lost here and realize that the whole reason that Jesus started this was to gather the people around the statement that Jesus said. What statement? Well, the rock. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock. Now, many people will say, well, is Peter the rock? Is is Jesus building his church on one other person? That makes no sense. I won't go into deep Bible study on that, but in in context, in the entire New Testament, how the people acted, they built it on the truth, the rock is the truth that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of the living God. The reason we gather is we gather because we are built on the rock, which is the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's the reason we get together. That is the foundation. That's why it was started. He goes on, 
I will build my church. And I think this is so critical for us to understand. I had a friend of mine, and just randomly, he said, you know, I know you're a pastor. You know you don't have to build a church, right? Uh, what? Well, if you look at this passage, it says, Jesus says, I will build my church. This is so critical. Here's the reality. We go to churches, groups of people, just like we go to restaurants. We might not write the reviews, but we have the reviews, don't we? They should be doing this. They should be doing that. They should have this going. They should have that. It should be like this. I can't believe they did this. Why aren't they doing this? All of these judgments. Some of you are here because you left another church because you didn't write the Yelp review, but it didn't meet your standards. And you, you, we, we judge those staffs or those people that are trying to gather people upon this rock that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And yet we see everything else but that. We've got to remember what it was founded on, the rock, and we need to understand that God is the one who will build his church. For me, as a pastor, that is a huge relief because it's not based on who I am, it's based on who he is, and he is the one that will build the church. And this is one of the most overlooked parts of what Jesus says about the church and what it's for. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And when we hear that, we see that, we think to ourselves, well, good, because now we know that hell and Satan can't come and take us over because we can always defend ourselves. We are strong. We are a rock. We can... That's not what this passage is saying. This is not talking about us having a great defense. Notice that it says the gates of Hades or the gates of Sheol or the gates of death, they're gates. Why do you have gates? Maybe you don't have a gate, but why would someone have a gate? To protect themselves, to keep people out. Notice who has the gate. Hell. The darkness has the gate. But that gate will not be able to hold us out. Do you ever think about that? We are supposed to be on the offensive. We are the light into the darkness. And the darkness cannot withstand us. Us, the people, the church, the gathering of God's people will not be able to be held back by anything, including the gates of Hades. And yet so often we get into our little holes and we forget who we are. Jesus is making this dramatic statement and we can miss so much that's in there. I tell you, you are Peter. And on the rock that you just shared, the truth, I will build my gathering of people. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I get so fired up, I can go for another 45 minutes, but I won't. Because I don't want to see any of those Yelp reviews. So here's the deal, though. This is kind of starting to take shape, but what does it look like? What, if, if it's not a building, if the church is not a place, but a people, then what are we supposed to look like? And what are we here for? Okay, we, we just discussed where it came from, who started it, but what, is it, what are we supposed to be like? What are we supposed to do? One of my favorite passages of all time 
And that's why we name the church. This is from John 15. Verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Then he goes on in verse 4, and he says, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what, what is this gathering of people supposed to look like? Well, it's supposed to look, metaphorically, like a grapevine. Because Jesus is walking through an area where there's grapevines and there's terraced area and he begins to look at what's happening around him. And so then he starts to share with his disciples who they are, who they will be. And he says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and you are the branches that come off of that main vine that comes out of the ground. And, and just picture that, they're all connected together. But what is a grapevine for? To produce grapes, right? There will be, as the church, as the people of God, God will do this, but we were meant to produce fruit. Now that doesn't mean you start evaluating yourself and yelping yourself and reviewing yourself. I'm not doing very well. Our church isn't doing this well. We should be doing that. We should be doing this. I should be doing this. Guilt, shame, blah, blah. That's not the point. But we need to understand who we are supposed to be and how it happens. That's why Jesus said very clearly, I am the vine. You're just the branches. All you have to do is stay connected to me and to each other. Notice how many times he says that. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit. It's understood. That's what it's for. That's what a vine does. That's what the gathering of God's people do. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is what we always do. When you read these words, the three-letter word that is Y-O-U, you think of yourself, don't you? I am the vine, you are the branches. And so you're immediately looking at yourself, you're putting yourself into this verse, and you're hearing Jesus say, I'm the vine, and you, Eric, you, Bree, you, Bud, you, Aaron, you are the branches. No. That you is plural. We talk about this all the time in this language translation. If you're from the south, it's easier for you if I say it this way. That word you is supposed to be translated y'all. I'm the vine, y'all are the branches. Or maybe you're from around here. I'm the vine, you people are the branches. Notice branches is plural. Not I'm the vine, you're the branch. And it's understood that in a vine that the branches are clustered together. They're connected to each other. In fact, some branches are coming off other branches. They've grown off of them, but they're all connected. Of course, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you were to take any branch off of the vine or any, any organic plant, tree, you pull it off, you know it's just a matter of time before that leaf or that branch goes brown and begins to die because it's disconnected. Jesus is making it clear to us that the gathering of people are meant to be together. 
And as we are together and as we are connected to the vine, we will produce fruit. We can't help it. All we have to do is to stay near him and to stay connected to each other and he will produce fruit. And notice that nowhere in here does it say, and there needs to be this many pounds of fruit produced. You know what I'm talking about? We're not doing enough. I should be doing more. Even when you look at your own life, am I doing enough? Am I going to look back? Do people see me as successful? Will God see me as successful? Our job description is easy. Stay connected to him. Stay connected to each other. And he will produce the fruit. That is what a church is. But we can get so caught off of that and so lost. The church was never meant to be an organization to please the community around it. We are not meant to try to get people to come. I mean, when you look at this list, that list looked really good, didn't it? People come to get connected to God. People come, some people come for their kids. They want their kids to have a good moral foundation. Some people want to just feel better about themselves. Some people want direction in life. We're still coming to get. The church was not founded for us to get. The church, the group of people were founded so that we could be givers. So that we could be the ones that are blessing others. But we're in this individualistic society. We've been trained to live this way. What is this doing for me? Because if it's not doing something for me, then I'm going to go do something else. Because that's what life is about, correct? Even though those reasons sound good, I want to be connected to God, that's not why the church was founded. It's by being connected to God and connected to each other that we produce fruit. God will, and sometimes we say connected with God, what that means is I want to feel God. I don't know how to make that happen for you. I don't even, I, we can try to like tweak things and give you this experience and have a light show or whatever. That is not what you hunger for. Only God can provide that. That is not what the church was meant for. The church can't fix your kids. It can't really give them a moral foundation. We gather together to honor God. Let me give you an example of this. My friend uh, went to a church and he was a young pastor. He'd never been in any other kind of church but his church. And of course, if you've ever been in part of a certain group, for example, let's say Thanksgiving. If you're going somewhere else, then you usually go for Thanksgiving. When you go to that house or that restaurant or whatever it is you do for Thanksgiving, they're going to come out with certain foods and you're going to go, well, that's not how it's supposed to be. What is this, a smoked turkey? I've never had a smoked turkey. You don't smoke. What is a smoked turkey? Or some of you, what? Where are the yams? We're supposed to have the yams, the sweet potatoes. We need it. In our house, if, when my kids grow up and they go somewhere else, guarantee they're going to go, where's the eight pounds of marshmallows on the sweet potatoes? That's how it's supposed to be because everything has to be our way. So my friend, who was a youth pastor, had grown up in a certain community of faith, and he went to a different one. His pastor took him. And when they went to this church, it was very different. They had, um, they had, uh, uh, they put incense in this little container, and they'd go through 
and they'd bang it around, and then they would have, uh, they'd stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, and that drove him crazy. And then the person came up to give the message. He would call it a sermon, but at that church they would call it a homily, and so he gave the homily, and my friend didn't like that. And then they finished, and as they were leaving, my friend looked to the pastor, his mentor, and said, you know what, I kind of want to go up to that priest right now, and I want to tell him something. Oh, really, what do you want to tell him? Well, I want to tell him that I didn't get anything from this service. <laughs> now, we think of this guy's heart, but how many of you thought that? Coming here, going somewhere else. Well, that had nothing to do with me, or I didn't get anything, or wait. Jaron Hoker leave music? Why isn't Tyler leave music? Hey, where's Drew? Oh, is it Boog again? I don't know what it is. Or you go to drop off your kids in the back, you're like, yay, they're here. Or, oh, no, they're here. I don't know what it is. Oh, great, we're here at the, this place. No, we're at that place. Oh, we all have that. We all have that individualistic, this didn't work for me. And so the pastor gave my friend great wisdom. He said, you know what I think will happen if you go up to that priest and you ask him that question? He's going to tell you politely and probably nice, I'm sorry, but this isn't for you. It's about God and it's for God. That's why we do this. That's what the gathering of God's people is. We are here, not just here on a Sunday morning. Church is not Sunday morning. You know that, right? Church is the people of God connected to each other. You could go to this room or some other room where they worship every single Sunday and not even be a part of the church. Oh, I go every Sunday. I know some people, they only come once a month. I come every single Sunday. That doesn't mean you're part of the church. Because a church is defined like a vine. To abide in him, to stay connected with each other and let him produce fruit outside of us. That is the church. So what do we do with this? What does this look like? What are the next steps? Well, I'm not going to give you too many. Because I think if we can hold on to the reason why the church exists and who we are. We are a people. We're not a place. And we are not coming to get. We don't come to each other during the week. We don't come on Sunday mornings to get. We come to give. Even as I'm speaking, it shouldn't be like, oh, is this going to be good? Am I going to like this? What can I do with this? It should be, God, what do you want from me? I'm presenting my heart, my time, my life at your feet. What would you have from me? Open my eyes. Let me see clearly. And then, as you look around and listen to God, maybe he's going to show you the needs around that you can give to Maybe he's going to open your eyes to the needs. We say it all the time here at Branches. We say, if you see a need, fill a need. In what? Something that you know is going to bless others. Jesus made it really clear what we're here for, to love God and to love people. So how are you seeing a need in other people's lives where you can meet that need, where there's something that's missing that would bless them and you could provide that? We saw a need this morning, a very simple one. So they had did this big production, that's why everything's everywhere, and we can't open this, and we can't set things up, and the lighting's all messed up. There were no lights up, up on the stage whatsoever. And so we all saw the need, but we didn't know how to fill the need. So we got Johnny, and Johnny figured it out. 
He got a big old toolbox and leaned it on this little button and it turned all the lights on. Now you think, oh, just press the button, but the button doesn't stay, stick. You press it, it lights turn on, you let go, they turn off. He saw a need, he filled a need. You see them all around you, not just on a Sunday morning, but around the world. We as the people of God, as we abide in him and abide with each other and stay connected, he's going to produce fruit from us. And we see needs. I'm looking over here at the corner of my eye, and I see one of my friends, and she has a medical practice, and her and her husband saw this need in the military community. I don't even know exactly what they did. I don't even know what need they saw, but they did something. Well, it didn't happen on a Sunday morning. That's what the church does. It doesn't happen to happen on a Sunday morning. We as the people of God realize why we're here. To love God and love people. And let me tell you, love doesn't mean feelings. Because a lot of times I don't feel love for people. But that doesn't release me from the responsibility to give to others. Not to get from them, but to give to them. So we have that cool statement. If you see a need, feel a need. You spot it. You got it. But... This one's better. And this is from Dr. Henry Cloud. It always sounds better if you put doctor in front of your name, so we'll use his. The space where someone's need and your gifts meet is the space for service, an opportunity, perhaps even a calling. So let me close with this. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? Peter was able to see Jesus. Jesus, who is the rock of this church. And when I say church, I don't mean church, little c, not branches. I mean the church, the big c, the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. We are founded on God. And Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Even I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life away. Jesus said to us, if you want to keep your life, which means be served, you're going to lose it. You won't be able to hold on to it. The more you try to get served, it's not going to work. But as you give your life away for my sake, you will find your life, your true life. Paul, in the book of Philippians, when he's saying, you need to have the same attitude which was in Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but he took on the nature of a servant we the church the big C we should look like Jesus we have a model of how to live how to approach church we should never come to church and go I'm just really disappointed that did not work for me (laughs) even if you bring a friend oh they better not mess this up because I brought somebody Just tell your friend ahead of time, hey, just so you know, we're doing our best to gather, but it's not for us. It's it's for him. Don't set people up with a false expectation. They will leave disappointed. And so know what the gathering of the people of God is for, what we do. And as I think about this, uh, an experience comes to mind that I want to close with to kind of give us a, a picture of what it means on a Sunday morning, what it means at a midweek, what it means on Easter, Christmas, what it means when we bring food to each other's houses, when we pray for each other. What what does it mean to be a part of God's gathering of people, his ecclesia? 
I have a friend, uh, no longer owns it, but used to own a restaurant. And I went, uh, used to go to his restaurant all the time just to be with him because I liked him. No, never got free food. It's not how it works. So if you have friends that own restaurants, don't go expecting to get free food. That's their business. That's how they survive. So you never do that. So I'd go over there and just wanted to be with him. And um, he, he did a couple events at his, at his place at different times. One of them was this uh, fundraiser to raise money for uh, a great need. And so we invited a bunch of people, and I was pretty pumped up because his food's really good. So I was all prepped. Steph and I we were going to walk in. They were going to pull the chair out for us, and I was going to get to sit down. They were push it in. It's the kind of place where they'd wipe the crumbs with that little scraper thing. They just keep coming in between. But it was open after hours because there's one night a week where they were closed, so none of the public would ever come, but he opened it for the fundraiser, just the fundraiser. So it was like anything goes. So people are coming in as I'm about to get prepared to sit down. He's like, hey, Book, I'm going to need your help tonight. You're on the line. The what? That's called the cooking line. That's where you come back and you're cooking and you get a little spot and the food goes down the line. I won't lie, I was a little disappointed. Because I didn't come to give, I came to receive. And yet, isn't that the whole point of a fundraiser? In fact, he did another thing on another night where he was trying to care for this group of people that were serving all the time, but no one, well, not no one, but he felt like they need to be honored, they need to be rewarded, they need to be recognized. And so these people in another environment that always would serve, he opened up his restaurant to serve them. Much like fundraisers, right? You, you have these fundraisers that you go to and, of course, everyone has their reviews of fundraisers as well because we forget what the purpose of the fundraiser is. We come in going, well, our experience wasn't fantastic. I'm not going back to that fundraiser again. We lost the whole point of what the fundraiser was for. I came into this restaurant and lost sight of why I was there. And it's the same with us in the gathering of God's people. We're not here to get. We're here to give. We don't show up waiting for someone to pull the seat out for us. We look around, we put on our apron and figure out how we can serve others. So here are our questions for this week. Do you view church as a place or a people? And number two, do you come to get or to give from the church? Let me pray for us. I want to invite the worship team up as they lead us in prayers to God and for God. Can you... Uh, Join me by standing. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, you are the vine and we are the branches. Our hope and our intent is to remain in you. Show us what that looks like, Lord. Help us to see the needs around us. Use us however you can. And when I say use us, I mean the plural us. Father, we are an extension of you. We are your body. Lord, we confess to you as a culture that uh, we just think a lot about ourselves individually and what can be done for us. So we ask you to change our hearts and to change our minds and to give us eyes to see and when we get off, which we will, just remind us, Lord, call us. Call us into the kitchen. Call us into the line, wherever you can use us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Oh, thank you. Praise God. <laughs> All the glory to him. Um, so I'm closing. <laughs> and I think what really like struck me when Bug was talking was um, the idea of being a yelper. <laughs> I think that I'm a, I would call myself a recovering yelper. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm someone who has really struggled with judgmentalism in my life. Um, not so much towards other people, even though obviously we all have that, but really towards myself. And, um, but you know, that kind of is all tied together. When you're hard on yourself, you're hard on others and all that. But um, I think that just... I think that a lot of times, too, what comes from that is that we go out in the world and we try to present ourselves, and maybe especially in a church setting, we try to present ourselves in a way that people will want to give us a good Yelp review when we leave, right? <laughs> we don't want people to see our dirty and our ugly and our yucky, and um, I think growing up on the other side of the curtain in church, um, you know, being in this side, um, of these communities for a lot of my life, you know, there's a lot of that. It's a lot of, you know, appear so that the Yelp review is good. But I think what's been really unique about this community is that you can go up to anyone in this community and be like, how are, how are you doing? And, you know, most of the time you're going to get an honest answer. And I love that. I think it's, and I think there's, what was God was putting on my heart as Book was talking was like, authenticity, the authenticity that we share with each other. We're teaching each other how to love each other, how, to, how God loves us, because God loves us unconditionally. God loves us no matter what kind of dirty or ugly we bring to any situation. We can come to him with our dirtiest and our ugliest, and he loves us. And I think that what's really cool about this community is that how we, that's how we love each other, for the most part. <laughs> but uh, I'm thankful for all of you I love all of you, and I, pr I pray you have a blessed week. Uh, go get your children, <laughs> and um, do we need help tearing down upstairs? I don't think so. Think okay. Okay. Be blessed, guys. <laughs> have a great week.